Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We hope we find each and every one of you in good form this morning. If there's anything you want to tell us about, share with us. If you prefer to go into more detail and email the programme, you can corktoday at c103.ie. There's a bit of a worrying story for the government and, and indeed, I suppose, the Exchequer making the front page of the Irish Examiner today. And it's a story where the government may now be forced to have to pay out significant sums of compensation to asylum seekers. Now, this was following a court ruling and it was a landmark court uh, ruling and it involved a young Afghan man. I think he was only a teenager who was seeking international protection. Now, I've been keeping a close eye on this case because it was very much seen as a test uh, case and the Integration Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, was ruled last week to be in breach of his obligation and therefore the country's obligations under European law to house people who arrive in this country looking for international uh, protection. In the judgment which happened this day last week, Justice Charles Meehan said that it was a lead uh, case and he even said that the government now uh, could see significant compensation claims coming before the courts because obviously I imagine a lot of legal people were waiting to see how this test case would go and if it went the way they hoped it would go then obviously they'll have a lot more clients that they'll be able to take before the courts and seek this seek this compensation. Now at the moment there are 538 people and that number seems to be rising on a daily basis. They're the number of people currently who have arrived into this country They are claiming international uh, protection, but the 538 people were told when they went for international protection that there was no state accommodation for them. And many of them have now been left homeless. Now, some of them have managed to find a place to stay themselves. They may have already had family connections here or people they knew. So they were, it's not all of them are homeless, but a large number of them are uh, homeless. And already with this test case, winning last week. There were already six other live legal cases and potentially, according to the Irish Examiner, there are another 87 cases in the pre-litigation phase. Um, Minister Rodrigo Gorman now is going to bring a memo to the Cabinet Committee on Ukraine and obviously they're so worried about it 
that that meeting has been brought forward to next Thursday. And this is amid concerns within government about the wider financial implication of this ruling. Now, we know that the case is due to go back before the High Court. That's on the 12th of May, so in about two weeks time. And that's when costs and any other further submissions from parties will be uh, dealt with. And according to a spokesperson for Minister Rodrigo Gorman, there is a fear that the compensation won't just be about the government not providing accommodation, but it could also include damages on things like, you know, the asylum seeker could say they're psychologically damaged uh, by being forced to sleep rough. Um, They could also look for (coughs) compensation about the lack of support service that was available to them. And the examiner is also quoting another government source as saying there is concern over the level of the financial compensation that the government may be forced to pay out and what that means for the rest of the people that the state haven't been able to provide shelter for. As I say, currently that number is running at over 500 with more and more people arriving every day. So, you know, sources within the government are saying there could be very significant sums of money involved here. And then the real danger is if large sums of money are given to international protection applicants as a result of the state not being in a position to offer them accommodation. There is slight unease that the court ruling could filter out around the world. The news could get out to other people. This is the country to come to. They're full at the moment. They can't give you accommodation. And when they can't give you accommodation, you can go to the courts and then get significant compensation. So there's a real, real uh, fear there. Now, according to Rodrigo Gorman's uh, department, they're redefining their responsibility or their response to the judgment. And obviously there's ongoing efforts to try to secure further accommodation because if they can provide the accommodation when people arrive in this country claiming asylum, then they won't be in the situation that they'll have to even think about compensation because the people won't be able to go to the courts. It's understood, for example, the government, they're scrambling they're trying to procure large communal facilities in towns to and cities to to um are they're looking in cities to try to house the asylum uh, seekers and once even if they have these large communal they'll almost be like camps refugee camps uh, almost but their commitments will be met once they can give the people that arrive here some form of accommodation and i know that that won't sit well with a lot of people and a lot of people will be very annoyed to hear that asylum seekers would even go down the route of looking for uh, compensation. And we're constantly hearing from people that Ireland is full and people are blaming the government and saying, why are we not closing our borders? But of course, we are part of the EU and therefore when we're part of, we're a member of the EU, we have to abide by the rules and by being a member of the EU, there are EU regulations that say we must give accommodation to people who arrive here claiming asylum. Now it it doesn't state that we have to give them asylum they must then go into the asylum process not everybody passes the asylum process but if they do then they are granted leave to uh, stay here but we know that our whole asylum process takes so long and that's been an ongoing issue for a number of uh, years and now it's you know it's, it's getting exacerbated at the moment because so many people are arriving here. This obviously isn't to do with Ukrainian refugees because they are uh, arriving fleeing a war but this is to do with people who are coming from other countries outside of Ukraine who are looking for international uh, protection. So a big, big headache and a big, big worry for the government so I can understand why they 
are scrambling, looking to try to procure these large facilities uh, in cities because if they could have them, then at least they'd have some place to house the refugees when they arrive. I'm going to get John Paul to get on to the council on this one just to try to get uh, clarity on this. A texter has just sent in a text saying, Hi Patricia, I am a council tenant and I heard on your programme yesterday how one of your listeners had a double rent payment taken out of their account. Well, yesterday, a double rent payment also came out of my account. I decided to ring the council to see what was going on and I was told it was something to do with the bonus social welfare payment that triggered the double payment coming out of my bank account. I'm amazed it's not on the news, on Twitter. There's nothing on social media about it. The person I was speaking to in the council said they are awaiting directions from welfare as to what will happen. So we're going to go on to the council because do I assume by that that every council tenant that's on a social welfare payment who received the bonus €200 for the cost of living this week did all of them have a double week taken out of their bank account? We, I'll get John Paul to get on to the council and see if we can get further clarification on that because that's not making any sense to me unless are they saying that the double bonus, the extra €200 Euro, uh, because the councils set their rent based on your means, does it push you over so you'd have to pay an extra week? I, I really can't understand it. Anyway, leave it with us. And uh, uh, we'll see if we can get something back from the council on it. And thank you for alerting us to us. Now, a number of people picking up on the story that I mentioned that's making the front page of the examiner, which looks like the government could be forced to pay significant compensation to asylum seekers who arrive in this country if the government are not able to provide them with accommodation. And this is all to do with the High Court uh, ruling uh, that uh, ruled we are in breach of our EU, of EU regulations and the Charter on Fundamental Rights within the EU which states if somebody arrives here looking for international protection uh, the government must give them accommodation and look after them until their case is processed. Anne-Marie though is making a really good point. She said the ruling on the asylum seekers this could actually break the country's finances. If these asylum seekers are in breach of the Dublin Convention and remember the Dublin Convention is where an asylum seeker must claim asylum in the first safe country. And we know that many of the asylum seekers that are arriving here, this wasn't the first country where they arrived because we don't have flights from a lot of the African countries, for example, where they arrive from. So they must have touched down in another EU country and then got on another plane or got on another boat. But the the Dublin Convention states that if somebody is looking for international protection, the country, the first safe country in which they arrive, they must claim asylum. And Anne-Marie is wondering, could that not negate against the claims against the state if they are obliged to play out asylum, if they were obliged to claim asylum elsewhere, then why are we responsible? You need to get. You would make a great lawyer or barrister, Anne Marie. I think that is a really that could possibly be a defence for sure. And I'm sure the legal heads within the government will be looking at every defence possible, particularly if it's going to be significant sums of money are going to have to be uh, paid out. And a lot of people are are just really just kind of exacerbated by this story. Like somebody saying, "Watch now, this country will get flooded with so called so called asylum seekers." What a joke of a stupid country we live in. You couldn't make this um, up. Well, you know, we're, as I say, hands are tied because of the EU rules and regulations. Jim says this decision 
situation seems ludicrous to compensate a refugee for not being able to house them. Sure Ireland will end up being a haven to more asylum seekers coming in in their droves because the word will get out and that is one of the worries uh, within the government. What says Jim about our own homeless people? Are they not entitled to accommodation for not being housed? It's true what they say we are a great little country says Jim and a lot of people making that uh, same point why can't our own homeless claim com- compensation there's nobody claiming uh, claiming for them but you see our, there's nothing in the constitution to say that the government must house uh, people uh, so it falls under different rules and regulations For C103 photos videos and more follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork search Instagram for at C103 Cork Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. Cork Southwest Finnafall Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan has suggested the creation of a dedicated energy minister, which would obviously ensure security of energy supplies going forward. To explain more, Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan joins me on WhatsApp this morning. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Do other countries firstly have a dedicated energy minister, do you know? Yeah, there's a, a selection of, of European countries, including uh, Belgium. Um, recently, the, the, the UK as well uh, set up a dedicated energy ministry. Some some countries have uh, energy transition ministers, and that is uh, to focus especially on um, the transition to, to clean renewable energy. So it is um, something that has been practised in other European countries and something that I certainly think that we should examine very closely and look at rolling out here in, in, in Ireland. And at the moment, energy comes in under environment, climate and communications, is it? Yeah, and that's that's part of, of, of the issue and problem as far as I see it. It's, uh, the, the current department is very broad. It has uh, several different aspects to it. And each aspect of the existing department are big ticket items. The issue of climate action that we we talk about quite a lot. I mean, that in itself is is you know one of the biggest threats to to, to humanity. We've we've we often often speak about the issue of of climate change. Um, so you know th- that that is there's so much involved in climate action and reaching our emissions targets. But as well as that, you have transport, and we know how how important transport is. We know how. Um, much we need to improve and increase investment in our infrastructure. We know that down here in West Cork more than anywhere else, you know, roads like the National Route, the N71, need investment. There needs to be a rollout of public transport in our cities. You know, they talk about rolling out light rail in places like Galway, in Cork City, in Limerick. Uh, Dublin are looking for a metro. Um, and just down here in West Cork, we're looking for a proper uh, bus service, you know, proper public transport service, as well as investment in a road. So that whole area, you know, you could even argue in itself deserves deserves a ministry. And then there's the whole issue of communications, which is also lumped in there as well. And as we know, rural broadband is, is an issue that keeps raising its head, the lack of um, good Wi-Fi in many parts of West Cork. So that's all included with energy uh, and energy. Um, we know over the last 12 to 18 months has become one of the most concerning, one of the most important sectors and areas uh, that we need uh, to get on top of. Uh, and it needs urgency. We need to be adaptable. And in order to do that, I think we need a dedicated uh, energy minister and, and a department of energy. Would you see the role of that uh, minister helping to tackle, for example, the soaring energy costs? Would they have a role in that? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that's that's one of the most important things. You know, I'll talk about the, the, the need to, to move to 
clean renewable energy in a minute because that is really, really important, absolutely no doubt about it. But over the last 12 to 18 months, we have seen energy bills, electricity bills in particular, soar. Both domestic and business uh, businesses have seen their energy bills soar, doubling cases, more than double in other cases. Um, and, you know, that you've covered that very well on your show, Patricia, in terms of the escalating uh, uh, bills. So we need to be able to adapt to that. And what can we do? So one thing that we've been waiting months and months for is what they call this windfall tax. Um, again, this is where some companies generate a lot of their electricity using renewable energy. Now, when you generate using renewable energy, you don't have the same upfront cost as someone who generates their electricity using gas or fossil fuels, which is where all the cost has been in terms of, it, it's really the gas prices that are driving the increasing costs. So in October, uh, Europe announced what they called a, an energy a windfall tax on energy companies. And this is where those uh, companies that were producing energy using renewable energy that we'd be able to claw back some of the huge extortion profits that they made. So that was in October. We're now in April, um, nearly moving into May, and Ireland still doesn't have the legislation in place in order to claw that back. Now, there will be. It will be in place before the summer, I'm glad to say, and we will, will stand to get anything between 200 million and 600 million, and that money will go back into the pockets of domestic users and, and businesses. But the thing is, if we actually acted on that straight away, if we acted on December, we know the the, the huge profits that uh, those companies that were making then, we would have stood to perhaps get a, um, a windfall tax of 2 billion for Ireland. So we've actually lost out. And I think it's because the current department, there's so much there, there's so many different aspects. We need someone to focus yeah, on Yeah, there's a clear example. If there was an energy minister, they would have been totally on, on top of that. On top of that, I made sure that the uh, that, that the legislation was drafted earlier, that the heads of bill came to, to, to the Doyle earlier and that it was passed through the Oireachtas and that, that by maybe December, January, February, we had it in place and we'd be able to put um, money back into people's pockets, try ease the pressure in terms of the cost of, of, of bills. And uh, the other way that, that in terms you mentioned, just speaking on, on cost at the moment, ESB, as we know, um, made profits of 847 million in 2022. Unbelievable and, and maddening for some to think that that would happen with an energy company in the middle of, uh, you know, the absolutely spiraling costs. There has to be some element of oversight there as well to ensure that the people of Ireland uh, start seeing those uh, types of profits, that we get a dividend and we put it back into people's pockets. Okay, ju- ju- a dedicated ju- energy ju- minister would do that. And just stay on price for a moment. What did you make of the survey out this week showing that we here in Ireland were paying the most for our electricity out of 33 European countries and we're double the EU average? Yeah, I don't think anybody was surprised because this has been the case for... Um, Years now, I'd say I'd, I would say most of a decade that Ireland is paying the most prices. Um, the the most um, experienced of economists and um, uh, people assessing this, you know, they, they struggle to find a reason. One of the reasons that they say is because Ireland is an island, island nation that we don't have the ease of trade with other EU countries in terms of trading uh, gas, etc. Et the other reason they say is that we don't have the economies of scale of because we're quite a small population here in Ireland compared to other EU countries that we don't have the uh, economies of scale. But I actually personally, I, I think there's something else here that we really need to look at. And, and that is that um, ESB and Airtricity, and by the way, Airtricity still, um, they, they provide the lowest um, unit price, or, you know, the, 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 the lowest cost per unit for domestic users. So I don't want to be too harsh on, Airtricity, on, on Electric Ireland, I should say, or ESB. But they have 
a something like a 35 40% share in the market i think we need more competition in the market and again i think that's something an energy can do in conjunction with cru uh, that's the commission of regulation of utilities to ensure that there's more competition and that there's more um, companies out there offering fairer prices. Yeah, okay. Now, we, we, you've mentioned uh, renewable energy. I mean, where are we at with offshore wind and hydrogen? I mean, it feels like we've been discussing it for years. Yeah, and, and that's the frustrating thing. And again, that's kind of what motivated this call uh, is that, um, you know, in fair, I, I will say under this government, uh, we have prioritised renewable energy. We are setting up uh, MARA, which is this uh, Marine Area Regulation Authority, which will in it, it's 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 the idea is that there will be a kind of a one-stop shop in terms of the processes of applying for planning permissions and and for permit the different permissions involved in setting up a floating offshore wind, but we we are much too far away. We've got a a target of seven gigawatts of offshore wind, which is is absolutely huge. I mean, it would it would be it would absolutely suffice in terms of powering eighty percent of our energy needs. But we, I mean, if, if you ask me when we will start seeing. Uh, wind turbines off the west Cork coast or off the west coast you're talking you know i would say at least a decade and and this really is the key you know most importantly for a, a cleaner more sustainable climate and that we are you know less reliant on fossil fuels but we then become energy dependent and those costs of energy should um come down but more than that it will drive this whole new green economy and places like west cork and cork county indeed are so well positioned to capitalize on that but it feels like we are going at a snail's pace. Yeah. And if you talk to any of the... Cork, Cork really could become a centre of, um, you know, renewable energy. Some of the best um, energy comp- renewable energy companies in the world are located in Cork, in Cork City. And we're perfectly positioned, but they will all tell you, these companies, that we are moving far too slow. And there's a fear that investors will will pull away from the market. So it's it's something we really need to... To, to drive on and again that's a job for a dedicated energy yep, minister yep, and by the way I'm not this isn't a job that I'm lobbying for myself okay. by the way just in case people think I'm trying to create a job for myself you know but, and, uh, and just, just while, while we have you on any update on O'Donovan's Hotel and the situation with Tom and uh, Dina we focused on it on here in the programme you know, the outpouring of support for Tom and Dina and what they're going through with the Vulture Fund what's the latest on that Christopher I know you're involved yeah yeah, and, and you mentioned that outpouring of support, like O'Donovan's Hotel here. It is just, it's an institution here in Clannacilty. It's on the main street. It is, it's not just a hotel. It's much more than that, um, uh, Patricia. It is, it is the place where all the voluntary groups go to have their meetings, to have their committee meetings, all free of charge. O'Donovan's never uh, look for anything. They they see them, they see the community benefit that they provide uh, to Clannacilty in the surrounding area. More than that, Dina will tell you it's often quite used as, as almost the de facto public toilet because we have this uh, ridiculous super loo here in Clannacilty that it, it's, it's you know, you just put in 50 cent, but it's, no one ever uses it. Yeah. And they end up going to O'Donovan. So they, they, they're so much more than accommodation providers, but, you know, it, it's a cafe, it's a restaurant, it's, it's everything. It's the heart of the town. So there has been an outpouring of support. Um, recently, um, uh, myself and in fairness, Deputy Collins, we requested that the Tanishta would meet with the O'Donovan family to hear their story. He did. He met them last Saturday. Great. Um, a very productive meeting. Um, and, you know, the Tanishta, the Michal Martin, he knows he knows West Cork, he knows O'Donovan's Hotel, he knows Clannacilty, but he knows how important Clannacilty is to me. He knows how important O'Donovan's Hotel is to me and to the community here. So he will do everything possible. My understanding is that there will be conversations with 
um, AIB and with uh, the receiver. Uh, this is this is my understanding. I'm limited in what I can say. Okay. The problem is the 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 the, the, the company in question everyday finance are they're like this ghost that can't be contacted they're they're like this uh shadow presence in ireland apparently they have a very small footprint in ireland so the difficulty is trying to get in contact with them but the o'donovans uh, they, they they have a solution they they can get out of this they're running a very good business there um they just they, they need these vulture funds to have a heart and to listen to them and, and to communicate. And, and communicate, exactly. It's exactly. been listening to Tom and Dina was just, it was heartbreaking. I mean, they're desperately trying. It's not that they want to walk away without paying their their debt. They want to pay no. and they need to engage. Okay, uh, we, we, we'll keep a close eye on that story. And very, very finally, do you want to share with us what you're up to this weekend? Um, what am I up to this weekend? Let me think now. Is there, uh, some, there, is is there some, something yeah, on <laughs> this weekend, Christopher? <laughs> Uh, get, I'm getting married to the beautiful Sarah on on Sunday, Patricia, and um, yeah, the, the Kieran Corley gave me a lovely shout out in the dial uh, on, on Wednesday night. I must thank him for that. But yeah, myself Brilliant. and Sarah we're getting we're getting married in Clannacilty, and uh, I'm absolutely overjoyed. I'm I'm getting long in the tooth now. We we we're, we're both there, so I think we've we've decided that uh, this is the right thing to do and the right decision. And and, and um, I no, know I know when I spoke to you when you got engaged to, to Sarah because Sarah is from Wexford, and I Correct. said, "Are you going to have to go to Wexford for the wedding?" And you said, "No, you're going to put in a really hard sell for West Cork." So you persuaded her. I did, and I, I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to pay for this in marriage because <laughs> you know we, she we, she's getting married to me in 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 Clannacilty. She's moving to West Cork in Clannacilty. I mean, in fairness to her, she's making all the sacrifices here. She's also doing eighty percent of the work in order to 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 get this wedding up and running. Uh, and Fernhill have been absolutely incredible as well, by the way. But. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely, you know, I, I've got a lot of making up to do in, in married life. So yeah, you owe, you owe her big time. Listen, we wish you nothing but love and luck on Sunday. Thank the sun so shines That's down on, on you and Sarah. And thanks a million for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Good morning bye. to you. Bye bye. That is Deputy uh, Christopher Sullivan, Cork uh, Southwest, on his final few days as a bachelor. Now, the issue of people and dogs entering lands without the landowner's permission is not going away. And according to Limerick councillors, it's not going to be taken lightly. Councillor Gerard Mitchell raised the issue at the Capamore Kilmallock Municipal District meeting. And uh, he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Gerard. Yeah, good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome to the programme. Do you believe we need to have stronger legislation when it comes to the control of dogs? Oh, I do, yeah, because uh, like I, I submitted a motion there in the Capmore Kilmanock area municipal district there, um, basically uh, to correspond with Minister for Agriculture, Food Marine, and, you know, Charlie McGonigal, and probably in conjunction with uh, the, the Minister of Justice as well. So that basically that new fit-for-purpose legislation is introduced and enacted ASAP relating to dogs entering on the lens and the said premises of owners, which basically may cause injury or persons to animals to prevent distress to farmers, owners and their animals and to counteract dog following. Now, this legislation should, should include the appointment of sufficient dog wardens to monitor, enforce and follow up on reports, particularly where certain areas where this is very, this is very active. Now, it was unanimously passed by the Capmore Seven Councillors and Capmore Clemenic, and now we're now bringing it into the full plenary meeting. Um, and I have no doubt that this will be supported in full by all the, the, 
the, the councillors uh, inside in the full chamber inside Limerick City. Yeah, and I, I imagine if you went into any local authority council anywhere in the country, uh, Gerard, I think you get the full backing because this is not just an issue that is a problem in your area. This is, is a nationwide yeah. issue. And, and have you heard of local landowners who say, try to confront the people yeah, with yes, their dogs? I, I, Indeed, we attended a number of meetings, and uh, a lot of pe- a lot of people concerned who were involved with with some form of tindid- intimidation. Certain people entering their said lands, uh, trespassing property on properties, Patricia, by dog owners without consent, has to be seriously looked at and acted upon in favour of the of the owners. We say casing their lands, it may lead to casing their properties, and that may lead to fraudulent insurance claims and probably theft. So it, there was a lot involved here, and I know that a couple of people took the law into their own hands, and there was a couple of dogs shot, and they were warned to keep away from the property. They haven't entered a couple of properties since, but to, I don't believe in that sort of behaviour. You cannot, you cannot intimidate yeah. that. Two wrongs never made a right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 we, see, but we, we, we have a huge amount of investment structure in the new, we say, active travel projects, and right. programs, you know, you're talking millions, and you know it has improved footpaths, public realms, and uh, the mere fact also it's it, it's relating to dog fouling. Now, owners should be responsible for their dogs uh, to to clean up their fakers, and I I think maybe I think there are some council parties introducing a bag situation that every dog should have a bag to carry around yeah. the collar, yeah. and I totally agree with that because uh, th- this is very unfair. We say to tidy towns. Uh, in their voluntary active in certain areas throughout County Limerick and Limerick City. It's very unfair to expect another human being to click fakers or, or litter from other people who just dropped it on, on the street or anywhere for that matter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the regular issues, uh, Gerard, that we would get calls in from listeners yeah. complaining about dog owners who don't clean up after their dogs. I mean, it's just... And again, a little bit like the dogs going on to land without permission. This yeah. is It's a nationwide issue as well, isn't it? Again, it, it it's, is. it's, it's not just your area in Limerick and us here in Cork. Yeah, I think it has to be tackled ASAP. It's, it's a blight on, our, on not only on our small villages and, and possibly walkways. As you probably are aware, Patricia, there was a man uh, who considered to walk away in his farm and he was attacked. Now... As you know, there's dedicated agreements there and they can actually be stopped at the press of a button and uh, that's the only probably safety valve that they have and which which that may happen as well because when you're along your person and you expect them to respect the property, uh, respect, leave it the way they got it and if that doesn't happen then uh, the, the landowner or owners don't have to necessarily give permission and it, just, it looks like if you're attacked again on your own property and remember, when you're attacked on your own property, it may lead to intimidation and may lead to injury. Um, so there's a lot involved here. Yeah. And I we have discussed happen. horrific lamb kills from Correct. dog attacks, uh, Gerard. Yeah. I mean, dogs can do untold damage. Yeah. It, 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 like it's, I've, I've seen it because I have some land myself. Um, we've had reports from uh, landowners and farmers in that regard, and the IFA are very active in, in that department. Uh, they can do horrific damage if they're on their own at night and with other dogs. They may link up and cause great distress, not only to, to farmers, but to, to animals, including sheep, which is very distressing for all concerned. 
Yeah, Michael, one of our listeners listening with interest to our chat says that the Gardaí need more powers to deal with what Michael describes as thugs. A sheep flock was recently set on by two lurcher dogs. Sheep farmers are fearful for their future with this type of uh, carry-on. Yeah, because there's a cost implication for the farmer, Gerrit. There is. There's a cost implication. But we do... We, we've had meetings with Gardaí attending and we need a quicker response. Response times have to, have to be quicker, uh, Patricia, um, to catch these trespassers. And, uh, you know, and now it, Charlie McGonagall, together with the Minister for Justice, bring in the necessary legislation to counteract this and help law-abiding citizens who are minding their business. They don't mind letting the ordinary decent person onto their lands for these walkways or to enjoy the walk on lands uh, in any green areas but even private properties where there's half an acre or 100 acres, like they don't want fraud and claims and they don't want their properties to be cased for future theft. Um, that is the problem here. And they don't want to be intimidated uh, on their own lands. It's, it's very disheartening and, it's, and it shouldn't happen. And I hope going forward that that the necessary law will begin come in at ASAP. Let's talk and let's bring it in and help all Yeah, and I think another very valid point that you made uh, earlier, we need more dog wardens. We, we simply do not wardens. have enough dog wardens. Yeah, yeah. And when it, it's, it's, it's very active in certain areas, there was big problems in Kilmallock, there was big problems in Mianus. Uh, there's been meetings with the IFA in hotels, there's been local meetings, there's been local meetings with the Gardaí, it has been highlighted by a lot of councillors. And, um, and what a lot of farmers say, that the laws are there in place to protect the landowners, no matter how big or small they are, or the property owners, or the residential owners, because uh, if they walk into half an acre, the plot at the back, if something happens, the owner, it always comes back to the owner. He's responsible for what happens on his land. Yeah. Okay, and Joe is listening to us in Kilmallock, says we've got a yeah. lovely walkway in Kilmallock, but yeah. what happens are, there are people who, who are the so-called responsible dog owners who bring along their poo bags with them. They'll pick yes. up after their dog, but then they'll throw the yes. contents yes. and the bag into the flower beds and the ditches. It's just so unfair on the good people of the tidy towns. Yeah, folks, if you're going to go to the bother of cleaning up after your dog, bring the mess home with you or until you can find a bin to put it into. Flinging it into flower beds and ditches is crazy. And I, and I think what you mentioned there, Patricia, there should be more poo bins as well. Yeah, there yeah. put more bins. of them out. And that's the responsibility, yeah. I suppose, of the council. Yeah, yeah. if and everybody works if together. To give them free bags. Give them free bags. Yeah. Because they're doing a job that the county council, or we all pay no taxes for the county council. We're helping out the county council. But that's the responsibility in the midst of the county council. So if people are participating in that, they should get every opportunity and they should be helped in every way. Okay, well said. Okay, listen, I enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that, Jared, Thank and you, thanks for joining bye. us. Bye. Good morning bye. to you. That is uh, Limerick Councillor Jared Mitchell. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in. I was discussing uh, the suggestion by West Cork Dole Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan of an, a need for a dedicated energy uh, minister and particularly with rising prices and this is all to do with energy security going forward as well. A listener says, Patricia, the government don't want wind turbines as they would lose out on the amount of money the big players would have to be compensated. The electricity companies would want huge, huge uh, compensation but we need to do something about the security of our energy supplies uh, going forward so whether the energy companies want it or not we certainly have to start looking at it and, and, be, and be a lot more serious about it, particularly the cost 
cost we're paying at the moment. And then somebody else says, we did have an energy minister in the past, uh, Patricia. This listener says, I think Richard Bruton was there for a while and Des O'Malley. Uh, Des O'Malley, this listener remembers, was all for nuclear uh, energy. Also before that, there was a minister for, um, the department was called Transport and Power. So they keep changing the department's names. Peter Barry was the best at it, says this particular texter. Thank you for that. And then a number of people reacting to my chat with the Limerick uh, councillor, Gerard Mitchell, who was talking about dog fo- dog fouling and the problems. Well, he was talking about control of dogs, but it led to a discussion on dog fouling. And of course, the minute you mention dog fouling, you'll get inundated with calls and texts in from people. Here's just some of the ones we got in. Hi, Patricia, uh, Fermoy listener. I just walked around the Pike Road in Fermoy from Amber to the Sub Aqua Club. Dog poo in so many places on the footpath. It is disgraceful. I had my grandchild with me. At one stage it got so bad I had to lift her up in my arms to stop her stepping into it. Why do dog owners not pick up after themselves? It is a total mystery to me. I have a dog and I always pick up when I take my dog for a walk. Someone else says, Patricia, we are in danger of introducing a dangerous disease that we won't be able to control because of this filthy, disgusting practice of humans being forced to pick up after a dog. The person who thought that should be horse whipped. How dare they reduce a human being to that level? But what, So what are you suggesting? That you leave dogs roam around and that nobody picks up um, after them? I mean, obviously, you've got to be very careful when you're picking up faeces and, and you do it by putting the plastic bag over your hand so it doesn't touch your hand. And obviously, as soon as you get back home, uh, you wash your hands uh, thoroughly. So I don't quite know what you are suggesting that we do instead. And Breda was also listening to uh, Councillor Gerard Mitchell with great interest and breathe its messages to say I walked back from the medical centre in Mallow the other day. Oh my God, the amount of poo bags thrown in behind the hedge. It is disgraceful. They pick up after their dog and then what do these people do? They don't place the bags into the bins. Please put your waste into the dog poo bins and they are if you walk along that particular road that Breda is speaking about there are one of those bins there why pick it up and just throw it in over the hedge only pedestrians can see this mess it is awful it was the entrance to the medical centre just to turn off on the main road that I'm referring to Patricia where it was uh, particularly bad please clean up after your dogs and when you do you need to bring it home or put it into some of the bins that are provided but I think Councillor Jared Mitchell did make the point we need more of those bins in order to act as an incentive to people to clean up. Let me stay on the subject of litter because I want to go to the phone lines where Dermot has contacted us. Good morning, Dermot. Morning. Now, it isn't dog fouling that you're worried about. It's cigarette butts. No. Um, the issue that, that we never seem to, to hear being discussed is uh, the fact of cigarette butt ends being disposed of. And there's evidence there that suggests that uh, uh, cigarette uh, butts are equivalent to uh, 50% of, of all litter. And I don't hear anyone sort of, uh, discussing that. Well, I have heard the Irish Business Against Litter eyeball. I, s- I certainly remember talking to them uh, last year. They, I'm sure, described it as the biggest litter scourge. And they were one of the ones saying it it, it, it accounts for half of all of the discarded waste uh, in this country. So it is getting yeah. mentioned, but it's getting mentioned and nothing's been done about it. Correct. I mean, I uh, contacted the uh, Cork City Council uh, on numerous occasions. I actually talked to the litter um, warden at one stage, and he said to me, I think that there was two of them for the whole city. Yeah. Uh, now, I pointed out to myself, right, if you uh, 
go and stand in, in a particular area on any morning uh, during the week, you'll within a half an hour you'll find at least four people. Now, four people being caught, that's uh, about 600 euro for a half an hour. That would more than adequately pay for, for someone to, 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 to patrol it. And I think if you got fined, you'd be very quick about well, doing it again. Definitely. I mean, that people, if people see the, um, the uh, car parking wardens around the place, uh, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll move on and they'll think twice about parking. If they see someone, you know, as a guard litter, uh, be it a dog warden or a litter warden, they'll, they'll obviously think twice. But there's a certain amount of education to be done on us as well. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've said this to several people over, over the year, uh, over the years, and uh, some of them said, oh, yeah, 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 fair enough. But others have told me to go where to go. I mean, one, one person who comes outside of one of the banks in the South Mall uh, every day and uh, has two cigarettes, throws them on the ground and goes back in again. No, she but does do, that do, do we need to, but do we need more receptacles for the butts? Do we need more bins provided? You know, well, the, there are bins that have the, the top section where you can put out a cigarette. Do we need more of those? Do we need to make it as easy as possible for people? Well, there was a, I said to one guy, uh, he was a foreign guy, and uh, I said, look, uh, he came outside the shop every so often and then uh, put his butt on the ground. And there was uh, a bin, let's say, um, 20 metres ah, up the road. Ah, that's annoying. That's annoying. You and know, by the way, it can take nine months for a cigarette butt to decompose. And, yeah. the, and the littered cigarette butts stick around a long time and they actually leach toxic chemicals into the environment leading to water, land and air pollution. So there is a, a health implication as well. Yeah, okay. I, and I, I said to one guy, I said, look, uh, he comes out and he puts his, his butt down the drain. He says, I'm putting it down the drain. I said, yeah, it's going into the water. It's the water, of course, yeah. Yeah, how stupid. And, uh, the person outside the bank at one stage told me, uh, oh, uh, the little warden told me I could throw my butt on the ground. Well, you where, where do you go from there? I know. All right, listen, Dermot, thank you for that. Okay. And right. uh, thanks right. uh, for uh, joining us. And, and somebody else saying, Dermot is so right. The dog fouling is bad enough, but their litter butts are absolutely everywhere. And then some people commenting on the piece I started the programme with, and this is the story making the front page of the Irish Examiner today. Uh, the government could, could end up being forced to pay significant compensation to uh, asylum uh, seekers and it's because of this landmark court uh, case and this is for in people who are coming here claiming international protection if we, the state can't provide them accommodation and we know they haven't been able to provide them with accommodation up to yesterday I think that number stood at 538 people who had arrived into this country seeking asylum and the state having to say sorry we can't provide you with accommodation at the moment you know I know they do their best uh, over the days and weeks that, that they are here to try and get them accommodation but it looks like because of this case that went before the High Court that all of those asylum seekers could have a case against the government and could end up getting uh, huge sums nobody knows for sure but they could look for psychological damage uh, and other areas where they feel they suffered by being forced to sleep homeless. Tim says Patricia you're spoiling things for me this morning listening to you. I'm unemployed now which is why I'm able to listen to you during the day and the cost of living is already interfering with my freedom. I'm thinking of going on a plane to Ukraine or Afghanistan to seek international protection. A furnished apartment and social welfare will await me. Well, well, will it? Tim 
Uh, I, but I, I, I know I can, I can read between the lines and I can see the sarcasm and, and where you're coming from. Uh, Martin says, what is going on at all with this Irish government? I knew something like this was going to happen. Can you imagine all the money that would probably have to be paid now to asylum seekers because there was nowhere for them to live when they arrived? Can you imagine what how Irish homeless people will feel? My God almighty, I said ages ago, we've left too many people into Ireland. I've also said that all of this would come back and bite our government on the backside. It will ultimately be the Irish people who will suffer again. The government haven't a clue. What a total disgrace and it's an utter laugh where I live. There are 45 houses, 38 of them are housing uh, people that have come from other countries. It's a crying shame, Patricia. It's no wonder we're seeing so many of our young leaving the country. And I know people are all pointing the finger of blame and blaming the government and all of that. But remember, no matter what government comes in, we are obliged because we are members of the EU EU, we are obliged under the rules and regulations governing our membership of the EU, we are obliged to offer accommodation to somebody who comes here uh, seeking uh, asylum. I mean, I'm sure that the Irish members of the Irish government themselves are frustrated at the fact that there isn't enough accommodation and that's why they're doing everything that they can now to try to procure these large communal facilities in cities in order to try to house the um, asylum seekers that arrive and one final one says, uh, is it not time, Trish, for some discerning lawyer to take a test case for an Irish homeless person, surely on the basis of discrimination? Born, bred and reared here, no borders crossed. And yet I feel I'm well behind in the pecking order. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. And just one final one on the bonus that's been paid out this week. And I know, for example, people on the old age pension will be receiving the extra 200 euro today when they go along to collect their pension or if their pension went into their bank account an extra 200 euro and this is to help with the current cost of living. Hi Patricia I'm just wondering myself and my husband uh, uh, we get we're both on the old age pension when we get the Christmas bonus we both get it on the double but yet today we only got the one 200 euro is that right should we have gotten 400 I did check on citizens information and they say that the once off payment the extra 200 euro is for anyone who gets a weekly social welfare payment that qualifies for the Christmas bonus but they say you only get one €200 payment even if there's more than one social welfare payment coming in so it's only uh, the one I wrongly said if you got the the double for for Christmas I assumed it was going to be the same for this but it says no you only get one €200 payment uh, if you get more than one social welfare payment 0818 103 103 lines open C103 Jobs Cork's 96FM are looking for a receptionist. Now it's for a 12-month maternity cover. Good computer skills, essential. And also the ability the ability to act as the first point of contact for callers and guests to Broadcasting House in the city. Email CVs, please, to hrmanager at 96fm.ie. Barry's coaches are now recruiting fully qualified bus drivers for local link and school transport services, please apply with your CV to info at barryscoaches.com. An apprentice electrician and refrigeration technician required to work in the dairy, commercial, hospitality and pharmaceutical areas. CVs, please, to contact at philipwalshrefrigeration.com.
and Walsh Heating and Cooling Limited. They've got vacancies for electricians and a refrigeration engineer. It's for the North Cork area. Your contact is Courtney O'Regan and the email address is CourtneyU at WalshHeatingAndCoolingLimited.com. Now you'll find all of the details and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now this Sunday, the Denny Hennessy Memorial Road Run will take place with registration from 10.30 at Dairy Gold in Mogili. The proceeds of this year's run will go to little Ava Quinn who is currently undergoing treatment for a rare brain tumour and her dad Colm Quinn joins me to share the story. Good morning to you Colm. Morning, Patricia. Thank you very much for, for inviting me on. Well, thank you for taking time uh, to talk to us. Now, I've seen fo- photographs of your gorgeous family and your, <laughs> your little princess, uh, Ava. She is the she's the youngest and arrived after two boys, was it? So great excitement. Yes, yes, Patricia. She is, well, you, you're right. She's our princess. Really, really a wonderful, wonderful little girl. Um, and she's the youngest. She's two younger, or two, sorry, two older brothers, Callum and Owen, who, who adore her. Actually, we all adore her, of course. Um, but yeah, she arrived... She arrived there four years ago, happy and healthy and everything very well, you know. And she was four last Monday, wasn't it? She's just had her birthday. Yes, four just uh, just on the 24th, um, Patricia, which is there a couple of days ago. Yeah, she, yeah. Um, yeah, she, she a rough start, of course, to her, to her fourth birthday, unfortunately. Okay. But okay. yeah, she was. So let's, let's go back. Ago. Let's go back. When did she start to become unwell? When did you start to notice things? I suppose, Patricia, about, sorry, no, the 7th of December is, is the is the date, okay? So about three weeks before that, Ava, you know, we, we noticed her getting a little bit clingy with her mam. She, maybe her appetite wasn't just 100%. Just, you know, slightly off form, nothing, nothing huge, you know, nothing that we would have any concern with, you know? Um, and that, that was for about two to three weeks. There were two days in particular that, that Ava, she's in, in preschool there. Um, they're wonderful, actually. Uh, yeah, she's in preschool there and um, came home two days complaining of a headache, actually. And and on both occasions, um, I, I remember giving her, I think it was Calpol or Neurofen or something like that. And she was absolutely fine after, you know, there was no, no follow on. She was absolutely fine. And, you know, we took no more notice, I suppose, of, of that. And then perhaps um, about there, maybe the last week of November, start of last week of November, her her one of her eyes, her left eye, started to turn in towards her nose, and that did raise concerns, obviously, to us at that stage, you know. But again, you're probably thinking a lazy eye. You know, children do get a lazy eye, and it gets corrected, and it's fine. Yes, yes, we do, and obviously, you you know, that's what we were sort of hoping, and and things like. That you know, it's a thing of nothing. But Carol, who who is is my wife, who is an incredible mother, so unbelievable, so instinctive and every, incredible. She's a, she's an incredible woman. She she wasn't happy with with this, obviously enough. But but you know, she she's she's my barometer. And I see, you know, when Carol gets worried, I know there's something wrong. So Carol took her to the to the bonds, I think, from memory. Um, who who said it could be something viral. 
And if it was viral, they didn't want to give her an MRI on, on, on the brain, of course, in case it would, it would um, you know, the, the virus could get uh, quite worse if it was viral or something like that. So what they did was they, they sent us home, of course, and we were to, due to go back up to the bonds in a week's time, let's call it, for an MRI, you know. Yeah. But we, we that weekend actually went over to, to family in London. We did, we, did, we, did, we did a wonderful weekend, but little Ava still wasn't herself, you know, just wasn't herself, wasn't right. And on, we came home on the Monday night and on Tuesday, Carol made, made an appointment with Shulela Opticians in Yall, who were, who were wonderful in, in all of this. And um, when they went to Shulela, um, the, the, the girl, that I, I just her name escapes me, she, she noticed swelling in the nerves of both eyes, I believe. And and straight away that that, that woman rang, rang the bonds and said that Ava needs to get an MRI immediately. That was a Tuesday evening. And then going back to my seventh of December, Patricia, that is the morning that Ava had an MRI in the in the Bonds and Cork, and we discovered, of course, unfortunately, that it was a brain tumor. You know, devastating news. Just yes, just just um, the shock of it, Patricia, was 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 almost indescribable. It really, really was. It was. Um, actually, I remember I, I was blown in Father Tim Hazelwood's he, he, the parochial house here in Killa, um, doing a bit of work, and and I had told Father Tim that that you know Carol was gone up with Ava getting an MRI. And he said, "Oh, I hope everything is fine." And and it was around the time that I was speaking to him that they were due in, and I said, "Ah, Twill, everything will be fine. There's no fear." And literally with that, my phone rang, and it was Carol, and I said. Cripes! This is very, very quick for Carol to be ringing me. What's going on here? Um, and it was—it was the devastating news that 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 Ava had um, a brain tumor, and, and and that was it. That was all we knew at, at that stage. Clearly, I went up. You know, I, I managed to gather myself. You know, I, I got a tremendous shock. It was—it 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 was huge. Um, but look, I gathered myself up and, and struck off up to the to the bonds, and and um, you know we were that was the start, I suppose, Patricia, of our journey. You know, and that's the start of your whole world and your family's whole world being turned upside down. And a very conscious seventh of December, everybody's getting ready for Christmas. There's fairy lights and Christmas trees all over the place, and you're being plunged yes. into this very unreal world of hospital visits. And I'm assuming was it straight to Dublin? It was Patricia. So yes, we were waiting in in the bonds above. They were waiting for an, for for a bed, a confirmation of a bed in Crumlin, um, and and we we had almost given up hope that evening. You know, when when they came in, I think maybe half six, seven o'clock, something like that, and said, "Good news and bad news. The good news we've a bed in Crumlin for ye, but the bad news is we've no ambulance, and if we don't get ye to Crumlin, there's no guarantee the bed will be kept." So we just, you know, it wasn't an, it wasn't a question really. We sat into the car, and and drove a, a very, very, very long dark road to Dublin on on that Wednesday night. You know, it was it was full of doom and uncertainty. To be honest, it was it was it was really difficult, really, really difficult for us both. Um, got to Crumlin, of course. Um, and and again, you know, we, we knew it was a brain tumor. We knew we knew little else. The bonds had told us that they thought where it was was operable. Um, and later on that night, much later that night, um, Temple Street in Dublin, who were amazing, by the way, they confirmed that, yes, it was a brain tumor for a start, but that they were very, very confident that it, it was quite operable. They were they were very. So that was the first bit of, of, of good news that we had gotten, you know, yeah, since the Wednesday cling, morning. There. You cling to every little bit of, oh. of, of news like that. So surgery did happen and it was successful yes. in that they were able to remove all of the tumour. 
Yes, yes, Patricia. Twelfth of December, they had the surgery. They told us beforehand they were extremely confident that they would be able to get all of the all of the um, the tumor. Um, you know, they, they outlined some issues where they thought it, it would certainly affect Ava afterwards. Her sight, for example, in her left eye, was going to be affected afterwards. To this day, we haven't seen any signs of that, thankfully. Um, but yes, they, they they were able to perform the surgery, and it was a huge success. 100% what they what they class as 100% um, success in removal um, they they expected Ava to be going home in 7 to 10 days which would have been the 21st of December maybe just before Christmas that was on Monday the 12th and she actually made it home on the Thursday just three days afterwards which was sort of unheard of she made a, a, a you know huge recovery really really strong recovery after the surgery what a, what a little trooper uh- How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. She is. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. of course, yeah, the tumor does. has to go away for biopsy. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, 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 I can't tell you where it went. I, I think it went. I, I know there were samples that went to Great Ormond Street in London, of course. And I think there's a, there's a there's also a very good facility in Beaumont in Dublin. Um, but I the two we we got word back, and I remember going up to meet the team, the oncology team, on Tuesday the twenty first, actually. And that was that was this you know that was not a good day. I suppose Patricia, we were we were told that it was malignant. Unfortunately, it was extremely aggressive an extremely aggressive type of, of cancer that if left untreated would certainly return you know um, just not you know like you're sitting there Eva was with us on the day and she was you know beyond happy and healthy she was full of life but you know better than we'd seen her 
you know for a month previous you know yeah. um and and you're 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 sitting down with the oncology team there and dr dr capra above in dublin absolutely fantastic and, and they're telling you that you know you were going to be starting chemotherapy is the preferred way to go and whatnot and they're laying this all out in front of you four days before christmas you know your heart is breaking you know little boys at home they're not having christmas um very very difficult extremely difficult time for us as a family really really hard you know yeah, and and the thought of the you know your the poor little thing going through all of the chemo because you know we all have notions in our head about what chemo is like and how unwell yes. well you yes. can feel and the thought of having to put her through it, but yet it's a ticking time bomb. You've no choice on this but to put her through this aggressive treatment. No, Patricia, you don't. Now, it's funny you say that. You you do have the choice to stop uh, chemotherapy treatment at any stage that you that you want, of course. Which is, I mean, you're not going to do that. This is your only fighting chance, of course. Um, but yes, there. You know, you you've, you've no choice really. You 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 have to go ahead with this if you want to, if you want to have any chance of survival, really. Like you know. And how um, how how has the treatment been going, and how is Ava coping with the treatment? Well, I suppose, uh, firstly, Ava is unbelievably strong and such a fighter. It's, it is, it is, it has astounded anybody that has been working with her how well, how, how strong she has been, you know. Um, I suppose, uh, Patricia, w- with the treatment, it was split sort of into two. We had the first three sessions, which were what they call low dose. And as I speak to you now today, we're, we're sort of finished session number five. With the three last doses there, session four, five, and six are high dose chemotherapy, and and while none of it is is nice, uh, Patricia, really not nice. Um, yeah, these high dose sessions are extremely tough on Ava, um, and and of course, like all stories like this, we got off to a particularly bad start with Ava in terms of you know she got quite a, a dangerous infection from the from hospital after after um sort of after the first chemo session which meant that she spent herself and Carol spent a full month in hospital between between Dublin and and the Mercy in Cork. God help her. God help her. Um and yeah, so how ma- how many more treatments then Will she need? So we've, we, I suppose we're counting treatments. Uh, session number five now is finished, even though we okay. have the recovery to do. As I speak to you, Patricia, she's in Dublin right now and, and she's about to receive some stem cells to, to help her recover. There is one more session, session six, of high-dose chemotherapy. And th- there, I suppose, Patricia, you, you, spoke, you mentioned a minute ago about removing the entire tumour. Uh, upon... I suppose pressing further, we discovered that in one of the reports that there was a residual piece of something left and they they can't ascertain whether it's tumour or whether it's scar tissue. So after chemo session six, if this residual is still showing up on an MRI, they're, they're talking about more surgery going in again, unfortunately, to the brain to remove whatever may be there. And after that, then there is there is we'll be going for for radiotherapy and proton therapy in particular treatment, which is is Essen in Germany is what's what we're being told at the moment. But but it's a, it's very early. Yes, yeah. There's no plan in place for the radiotherapy. You'll, but you'll, that's, you'll cross, that's the, the outlook. You'll, you'll cross that bridge uh, when you get to it. Yes, Colum. yes. Me or tell yes. me how how are the boys um, doing and how are they coping? 
the, the boys the boys are actually doing we're trying to give the boys as normal a life as possible training swimming you know yeah. soccer everything as normal as we possibly can um Callum our oldest boy is 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 um very much tuned in that she you know she's getting medicine she's going to get better because that's what we've told him and he seems to be dealing quite well with that Owen is far deeper he's a, he's a far deeper little boy he, he's a wonderful little boy actually um they both are um but Owen is, Owen is taking it okay as well but he's quite deep I, I do know that it worries him yeah. more so than on, on the outside at least more so than Callum but overall Patricia we're, we're, we're doing exceptionally well all things considered actually we, well we're fighting hard like you know and of course Carol your, your wonderful uh, wife and mother as you described her she's permanently at the hospital whenever <sighs> Ava's at the hospital Carol's at the hospital Oh, 100% Patricia I, 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 my heart breaks for Carol because she has been submerged in, in the hospital scene since the 7th of December last I mean you know and if Ava hasn't spent a night away from Carol not one night since then and you know I suppose Carol is in that all the time she's up and down this week and, and it, it's bound to have a, you know take a toll on her bring her down maybe a little bit when you're surrounded by all of this and it's very difficult you know because Ava only at the moment wants her mam, it has to be Carol with her, which is making it very difficult for Carol. But in saying that she has been incredibly strong, uh, Patricia, she has she has invested herself into this completely in terms of research and treatments and different things like that. Um, you know, she has been very, very involved in, in I suppose, in making sure that the doctors are doing what they're supposed to do and, and, you know, getting familiar with what's coming, really. It's, yeah. it's, she's and been then, incredible, well, really, she's, really brilliant. She's doing that. You're holding the fort with, with the boys. And how, how are you doing? I just look, Patricia. I'm doing fine. Um, you know, I've Carol's mam. I have to mention Carol's mam, Brida. She, she, she's incredible. My mother-in-law has been incredible. She's, you know, she has been helping out at the house at home. You know, knowing I, I can't thank her enough. But I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm self-employed, Patricia. So I, I've huge amount of distractions, um, going on outside of Ava, which, which is, you know, she never leaves your mind. But I do have distractions, um. Whereas Carol won't have those, unfortunately, but but I have plenty to keep me occupied, I suppose. But it is exceptionally busy on my end of things, obviously, you know, trying to keep everything going. From a work point of view, I'm very much, I have three brilliant lads working for me, exceptional, exceptional guys working for me. I've only been in a support role to them, really. I, I You know, I, I, my mind can't concentrate. It's I not know. in this. They're keeping um, things going. You know. They're keeping things going. And oh, that's they are. Why, they're, they're exceptional. That's why and, and next Sunday's event, the, the Denny Hennessy, uh, Memorial Road Road Race is very much uh, the community column coming out to support your little family and there, there's something lovely in that. Oh, oh yeah, yes. The, the, the community, Patricia, for a start have been Incredible, absolutely incredible. They they have they have cha- <laughs> they have for, for by far the better changed my view on on, on, on on humanity. They've been incredible, really brilliant and supportive. Mogili Vintage Club, um, Denny Hennessy, I believe, helped start the club quite a few years ago. Um, his son Jim now is very heavily involved. They would be neighbours of mine. You know, I moved up beside them a few years back, um, and and they came to us with this. They 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 offered this. They wanted to do it, and. 
they've had a huge, I suppose, outcry of support, people wanting to get involved and wanting to help us. So Mogili Vintage Club, who, who I'm a member of, but only with about two years, Patricia, they, I, I can't get over the, the support they've, they've given and the efforts that all of them have put in, you know, to, to, to do this. this. The Denny Hennessy run happens every year um, and, and, they, and they, they like to support local and, and they really, really, really are supporting us. It, it's, it's really, it's heartwarming to see what people are doing for us. Uh, you know, it, it really is tremendous. It's brilliant. And it's next Sunday, registration at half past 10 and the run leaves yes. at half past uh, 11. Uh, we, I can see lots of lo- wonderful outpouring of love and support, uh, particularly for Ava and people saying that they'll keep her in their thoughts and in their prayers. And that's what we can do. Everybody sent healing energy and healing love. Good. And listen, pass on our best wishes to Carol. Uh, Tell her, of give course. Ava a hug and you go home and hug Callum and Owen and look after yourself. And we'll, we'll keep in contact with you, Callum, uh, Callum OK? Patricia, thank you very much for having me. Thank well, you. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks I hope for you have a good weekend. Good Thanks a million, Patricia. Thank you. Bye bye. Goodness me. When you, you think, you know, when you get bogged down with worrying about this, that and the other and then something like that lands on your doorstep. It's just heartbreaking. It really, really is heartbreaking. So my thanks. I really do appreciate uh, Colm Quinn from Mogili taking time out to talk to us because it isn't an easy topic to discuss uh, either. And as I say, we said nothing but love and healing to uh, little Ava and uh, we hope everything works out well for them. And good luck to everybody involved in the Denny Hennessy Memorial Road Run next uh, Sunday. As I say, all proceeds this year going to little uh, Ava Quinn. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. A celebration of summer's arrival will begin this Sunday at Glenbarrow Woods, organised by Grey Wood Arts in Killa. To preview the May Sunday Festival, I'm joined by Jessica Bonenfant, who is the artistic director. Good morning to you, Jessica. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome. This festival, I had to do a little bit of research on it yesterday because I believe it dates back to the 1800s. What's known about the origins of this festival? So Glenbower Wood was once um, the Decable Brook estate and the landlord of that estate did a number of improvements and built bridges in, I believe, the 1830s. And on the first Sunday of May, he invited the villagers to come onto the estate for music and dancing. And the story goes that it continued every year, um, actually up until about the 1920s, um, when, of course, the the land went into the National Forestry's hands and uh, the festival moved more into the centre of the village. So in recent memory, it's throughout the centre of Killa up until... Um, foot and mouth in, in 2000 and it kind of had a pause then but it went on for quite a number of uh, years continuously. Yeah. And and people locally have lovely memories of growing up and attending this festival and, and young people very much looking forward to this day every year. Absolutely. So you, so you decided a few years ago that you'd revive it? Yeah, when we came to Killa we started uh, Greywood primarily as an artist residency But uh, there was a lot of interest in the community and we were doing a lot of listening and it was just really consistent that people missed the festival. And we thought the wood is now community owned, which is really unique, and um, that we actually had scope to bring the festival back into the woodland. And the festival, it runs, it it looks like it's over a two week period. There's, there's, There's quite a detailed program of events happening. Yes. Now, that's kind of... um, 
you know, we, we revived it in 2018. We had a great weekend in 2019 as well. 2020, of course, the pandemic squashed yeah. anything happening in May. So in 2021, we said, what can we do in the wood that um, would be safe to experience on your own, but would still mark the occasion? And so we did an art trail through the wood. And it was really popular, so we thought maybe we can do that every two years. So this year, um, we have kind of the traditional May Sunday, the first Sunday in May, um, music and dancing in the wood. But then we also have the art trail for two weeks, and so we thought we'd spread the events out throughout the, the two weeks well that done. the trail is well in. And, and people can go onto your website to find out on any particular day uh, what is happening. But I, I need to ask you about it. It's a very exciting time for you guys at uh, Greywood Arts. You've just opened studios and an exhibition space for local artists. Tell me about the Coach House. Oh, it has been a real labor of love. Also kind of started in 2018 with planning permission and working on getting leader funding. Uh, but when we um, when we first saw the building, we knew we'd do the residency and we knew that the, the coach house that's attached to the back of it had huge potential. Uh, but we weren't sure exactly what that would be. And um, as we got to know the community and the community got to know us, we realized we needed a dedicated education space. So it'll have an art classroom, which is one of the things I'm most excited about. Um, and then the exhibition space is really a flexible space. So we can do events like music or readings, even screenings. Um, I'd say we'll seat about 50 people. And the other query we got was uh, from local artists who were looking for workspace but didn't need the accommodation side of things that the residency offers. So um we realized there was a great opportunity to really make a creative hub for East Cork. And are the is there a lot of people involved in the arts in the East East Cork area? Because predominantly, when you think of the arts, you think of areas in West Cork. There are a tremendous number of artists here, but I think there's a lot less visibility. There's a lot more isolation. People are working out of their homes or their home studios. And there hasn't been, say, a center, you know, in in Skibbereen, you have Illin and um, you know, there's other centers in Valley de Hob and and things like that. And there hasn't been that in East Cork to kind of galvanize it. But we've recently worked with um, both the Cork County Council Arts Office and the Waterford one to start a network for um, professional artists in that East Cork, West Waterford area. And through that research, um, I don't know, there's probably about 100 artists in the area easily. Brilliant. And and they need a centre. They need a kind of a focal point, don't they? Absolutely. Like, because our our mission is a lot about um, creativity in the community and connection and that... um, not just the social aspect of it, but that, you know, seeing other perspectives helps you build empathy and connect with each other and just makes it kind of a better place to be. And the artists need that on a professional level, as well as the community needing it on on a on a social level as well. OK, well done. And uh, you've got all the information about the festival on what's your website? Um, you can go to maysunday.ie. And that has the full festival program uh, kicking off from tomorrow. And we're having a big opening celebration at six o'clock in the coach house as well. So people could get to have a look around the coach house and, and see what's on offer. And I can tell by your accent, you're not born and raised in Killer, Jessica. Where are you originally from? 
I'm not. I'm from Connecticut originally with many years in New York City and a little bit in the Midwest after that. Um, my husband is Irish, but ah. uh, he's from Wicklow and we both just loved Cork. So okay. we thought it was the place for us. And Killa is now home. It is indeed. Well done. Well done. Listen, it's fantastic. We wish you nothing but luck, uh, particularly with the Coach House, but the the May Festival, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I love to hear old traditions being revived. So well done for reviving the May Sunday Festival in Killa. Listen, Jessica, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And enjoy the festival. Thanks for joining us. Je- Jessica Bonenfant there, who is the artistic director for the May Sunday uh, Festival, uh, but also the artistic director with Greywood Arts. OK, 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. We need to take a break. We have news at 12 on the way. We'll catch up with a lot of calls and comments coming into the programme and uh, we'll talk movies all coming up in the next hour. A couple of people have a message to say, don't forget to please mention there is a meeting going on in Kilbehany Community Centre tonight. It was something that actually we dealt with on the programme a couple of weeks ago and I did promise that I would remind listeners that that meeting is going ahead uh, tonight in Kilbehany uh, Community Centre and it's to discuss the concerns of local residents about the lack of a wastewater treatment facility for the village. Now, a few weeks ago, I spoke with the chairman of the Kilbehenny Sewerage Action Group, Maris Walsh, uh, joined me, you know, and Maris uh, spoke about what what the community needs is for somebody to step up to the mark and say, there's a problem here and it needs to get uh, sorted. And Maris said that they're hoping that the forgotten village of Kilbehenny will be on the list of villages and that it won't be pushed aside again. And of course, locals, as we know, are, see raw sewerage flowing into the river function in the village that poses a serious health threat to the residents and according to Anne Murphy in the examiner uh, today one parent of two young children recently found a rat in the family's toilet the very notion of it it wouldn't put the fear of God uh, into you and of course the development in the village is at a standstill because of the lack of a proper sewerage facility so they really are taking action the community are coming together and there is that meeting on tonight Kilbehenny Community Centre at 8 o'clock everybody from the village and the surrounding areas and all the people who are affected by this are asked uh, to please go along and we'll keep in contact with Morris Walsh and the rest of the group at the Kilbehenny Sewerage Action Group and hopefully one day we'll be here on air celebrating the fact that they get their new wastewater treatment. 0818 103 103. Back to dog fouling and some other issues that have come up on the programme today. By the way, Pat has been on. When somebody had said that they felt that there it was very wrong expecting people to go out and thought it was a very dangerous thing to do to go out and clean up after dogs, be it your own dog or somebody else's uh, dog and that we should never have introduced that actually cleaning up after our dogs and the actually the original text to Wednesday Fire as to say whoever came up with that idea should be horse whipped how dare they reduce a human being to that low level and I said so what are you suggesting that we just let dogs run around dog fouling all over the footpaths wherever green areas where children play like we have to clean up after our dogs well Pat says Patricia what did we we could do what we did since the start of time so just leave it there but it's the the endless problems that it's causing for people without walking with buggies we know I spoke a couple of years ago with a, a woman whose child came in after playing football out in the green area outside their house and she said the minute she came in she could get the smell of 
dog poo and uh, she said you know she took him into the shower and she realised he was covered in it and he became very unwell after a few days and ended up in hospital and, and was you know, luckily he survived but it was linked directly back to that game of football where he picked up the ball obviously there was dog poo on it and he had somehow either ingested it or got it into his eye but somehow got it into his body and he became very unwell so I don't think we can just leave and say to everybody I'm sure that's what we did years ago we just left the dog poo where it was and I don't know whether we have too many dogs now or something and there's more dogs and more people out walking with uh, dogs because the, the problem with dog fouling is certainly a lot worse than what it was when even with that I can remember even growing up. I, I never remember footpaths being as bad as they are when you're and, and I suppose I particularly notice it, particularly if I'm walking with Marsha because my daughter is blind. I have to negotiate for her and make sure that she doesn't end up uh, walking in because she's not going she's not going to see it. So I certainly notice a lot more dog poo than I think I ever did before. And then a listener says, Patricia, I was out walking yesterday. And I met a man who was walking with his two dogs, both of them fouled on a public footpath. The man, knowing that I was watching him, firstly kicked dirt over the first poo. But because this, where the second poo was, there was nowhere, lo- no loose soil available. He picked up the dog waste with his bare hands and threw it to the side. It's obvious that he'd come out walking with his two dogs and he didn't have the poo bags with him because he didn't plan on picking up the waste only for being seen by me. And I'm assuming you gave him the evil eye. I carried on with my walk and I couldn't believe the amount of dog waste on the footpath. Also, like what other callers are saying to you today, I also saw bags with the dog waste just thrown to the side. It's absolutely disgusting. Clean up after your dogs, please, and make sure that you bring whatever you're putting into the bag, that you bring it home uh, with you. And then still getting in calls about the story that I started the programme with today and the government could be forced to pay significant compensation to asylum seekers. These are in now at the moment as over 500 asylum seekers who've arrived here looking for international protection and no room at the inn. The government basically don't have accommodation and I can hear people say we don't have accommodation for our own, let alone new arrivals into this country. And there was a case went before the High Court last week and it ruled in favour of the Afghan man who was seeking international protection. They're back in court in May when costs and further submissions will be made. And the problem now is that it may not just be the government having to compensate for not providing accommodation because the asylum seekers could also claim damages um, on on other things like psychological problems and issues. And the fear is that the word will get out. Ireland is the country to go to. If they can't give you accommodation, then you will be able to go to the courts for compensation. And we could end up with huge, huge sums of money. And Marie is back to us. And Marie was the one who came up with, I thought, a great way of our government trying to get out of it by citing uh, the Dublin Convention. And the Dublin Convention means if you are looking for international protection, the first safe country you land in, it's there you must seek asylum. And we do know that many, many are coming to this country and it isn't the first safe country that they arrived in. Anyway, and I thought it was a great suggestion from Anne-Marie. She's back. She's been thinking about it again. And she says, regarding the asylum seekers who will be looking for accommodation. Now, if the Dublin Convention did not negate all cases, could the government not claim extraordinary circumstances? As we often hear 
Airlines doing. Could they not cite extraordinary circumstances as their defence and cite the impact on the available accommodation in Ireland as a result of the unprecedented number of refugees which is caused by the Ukrainian war? That was an exceptional circumstances outside of anyone's control, including the Ukrainians who are fleeing. And it's way beyond the government's control. Just another suggestion for our government. Thanking you, says Amory. You know, I'm, I'm going to start a campaign to get Amory up into the government. She should be offering them legal advice. It certainly is another good uh, suggestion and one because we're, they're going to have to go back to the and the reason that the judgment was made was because the judge was looking at the European Union rules around reception conditions and the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the EU. We're a member of the EU. We have to abide by their terms and conditions. And then a North Cork listener says, Patricia, I'm wondering, could my daughter get some some compensation similar to what the asylum seekers are going to be claiming as she's waiting to be housed? She's under a lot of stress. She's got one child. I just wonder if the government do end up paying out big sums of money to non-nationals. Why would they not pay it out to Irish people who are waiting to be who are waiting to be housed and many of them waiting a long, long uh, time. And then when I keep citing this European law and saying, you know, while you might be annoyed with the government, they don't have any choice. They're bound by the rules and regulations of the EU. Someone makes a point. We've got MEPs to lobby for change in legislation in favour of our own citizens. Our own citizens should have equal rights to housing here as non-nationals do. It's time they actually represented all of the Irish people. So somebody bouncing it onto the courts of the MEPs who will be knocking on your door soon enough because there'll be elections for MEPs uh, next year. 0818 103 103 and thank you to a number of people who have contacted us with regard to a listener who went along to collect their pension today and was, you know, saying, great, we're going to be getting the extra bonus of the extra €200 Euro bonus payment that is paid out to people today for the cost of living. And a listener contacted us to say, myself and my husband, we received the old age pension. Uh, we do get the Christmas bonus. And when we get the Christmas bonus, we always get double, i.e. we get €400, Euro, but today I only got €200. Euro. Is that right? And I had gone onto the Citizens Information page and they say that you only get one €200 euro payment this is in the spring payment um, uh, you only get one if you get more than one social welfare payment so I thought therefore that that meant it was one per household well I've had a slew of texts in from other listeners to say hi Patricia for example both my husband and I we received the additional 200 euro today and both of us got it on our pensions and somebody else says Patricia both myself and my husband got the 200 euro payment we have separate pension accounts So I don't know why some are getting it and others are not. What I would suggest to the original listener is maybe get back on to the department or if you went to the post office, maybe pop back into the post office and ask the post office. Because I'm particularly scratching my head when you say that you get the double at Christmas. You get the two, you each get a a double payment, which is more than 400 uh, 400, uh, euro. So I don't quite understand what's gone on there, particularly when I've seen, as I say, we've other listeners coming on saying that, yes, they received because they've separate pension accounts each of them received the 200 euro so it might be worth checking either back in with the Department of Social Protection or maybe pop back into your uh, post office 0818 103 103 and then I had a couple of people on to us during the week saying does anybody know what's happening with Covid boosters there's still a lot of Covid out there and actually I have to say yeah I've heard of a number of people lately people I know or family members of people I know who suddenly out of the blue getting Covid thankfully nobody's getting 
very sick, which has got a lot to do with the vaccination and people getting boosted. Well, the news is out today that people eligible for what they're calling a spring COVID booster vaccine are now being urged uh, to get it and to try to get it, please, by the end of next month. And that's going to be important. The spring booster now, that's aimed at people aged 70 and over. Residents who are living in long-term care facilities, so people in nursing homes, etc. And it's also for people aged five and older who have a weakened immune system. Now, the autumn booster shot, that will be given to more people. That's going to be given to anybody over the age of 50, all healthcare workers, anyone who's immune compromised and anyone who's got a high-risk medical condition. But the HSE said it aims to complete the spring booster campaign by the end of May. And it's important that people get it by the end of May because that will then allow for a period of time required for those getting the spring booster to be able to get another booster dose in autumn along with their flu vaccine. People who are eligible for the jab, particularly the spring one, you go check with your GP to see if your GP is participating in the vaccine programme. Also check in a lot of pharmacies are offering the vaccine and there will also be and still are community vaccination centres. Now, if you are eligible over 70 are over five and older with a weakened immune uh, system. Uh, the people that are um, eligible, you must be, um, you've got to be, it's got to be three months since you got your last vaccine or it has to be three months since you last had a COVID infection. So if you had a COVID infection last month, then you won't be entitled, you won't be able to get it. You have to wait uh, three months. And according to the papers today, there has been a rise in COVID infections over the last several weeks. Although now the good news is there's signs that that's starting to plateau. There is a sub variant that's kind of out and about at the moment. It's something uh, called Arcturus. Now, this one is believed to be more infectious. And of course, as the as the subvariant changes, they all seem to be getting more and more infectious. But there's only so far been a very low number of cases uh, detected here in uh, this country. And people who are, as they say, who are getting COVID, thankfully, uh, they're not very unwell. Now, there are still people in hospital with COVID. Up to yesterday, 251 were in were patients in hospital uh, who were diagnosed with COVID. It's not to say that they were in hospital because of COVID, but when in hospital, they either got diagnosed or they came into hospital. And, uh, but they're not there for the symptoms of COVID. There are 12, unfortunately, in intensive uh, care. And over the coming weeks, residents of long-term care facilities for older people, they'll be vaccinated by HSE mobile vaccination team. So that's great. They'll go out to the people in the care homes. Children under 12 with a weakened immune, they'll also be vaccinated. But you, for them, You've, they've got to go to the community vaccination uh, centre and the HSE national lead for the COVID vaccination programme uh, said we know people's immunity weakens over time and it particularly weakens in older people so what happens is when you get a vaccine protection peaks it's about four to eight weeks after you get your jab but then it starts to wane from then on but protection against hospitalisation and severe disease that can last anything up to uh, nine months and in the latest advice the National Immunisation Advice Committee, NIAC, who we haven't spoken about in quite some time, they say age still remains the strongest 
uh, indicator of hospitalisation in intensive care admission and unfortunately death. And in relation to the autumn booster, NIAC also say that pregnant people are recommended to get the autumn uh, vaccine if it is more than six months since their previous jab or infection. And at the moment for healthy people aged 18 to 49 who already have their primary vaccination and first booster, another is not recommended at this time. Now that all could change as we know COVID still unfortunately hasn't gone away. But the spring booster is out for those over 70 and residents of long term care facility and those with weakened immune system. Get your jab. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Kaylee sets going on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic at tonight. Music is by Michael Sexton. Dancing is from 9.30 and admission is €10, Euro, including your teas. Bingo is on in Mallow GAA Complex 8.15, jackpot 4,100. Kildallery Bingo is also on tonight. The store at the Creamer Yard, they've got a jackpot €1,600 starts at 8. At Thanksgiving Mass... For Sister Angela Pohl, who is former principal of a school, uh, will be held in St. Patrick's Church in Formoy. It's happening this Friday at half past seven. And the registration for Canturk's Darkness into Light Walk, that takes place in the Temperance Hall in Canturk from six to eight this evening. Also, Canturk Men's Shed, they're holding a registration evening in the Trade Union Hall between six and eight tonight. The Darkness into Light Walk, of course, is taking place next weekend, starting at 4.15 at the Adele Quinn Hall in Cantor. We'll speak more about the Darkness into Light Walks next week. And Toker Family Centre, they're celebrating their 50th anniversary today. They're holding a street party at the centre in Dean Rock Estate in Toker. It's from one o'clock this afternoon until half past four. Everyone's welcome to come along, join in the fun. They'll have music, games, face painting, refreshments and lots, lots more. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Court today at C103.ie. Today on C103. And some more comments coming in. Hot and heavy to 0862-103-103. Anthony says it's unreal what this country has signed up to when asylum seekers can land here when it's not the first country that's first safe country that they arrived in. And now we're hearing they'll be able to get compensation because we've no place to put them. What compensation do our own people get? The whole thing really, really is a mess, says um Anthony and uh, John saying something similar, uh, but he's adding that the dogs on the street know that Ireland is the country to go for the free handouts. That's why so many of them are arriving uh, here. 0818103103. Paul in Douglas says that story that's breaking, the GSOC story that is uh, breaking, is just such an incredible story. Well done, says Paul to the Gardaí, who seem to be getting to the bottom of it and seem to get into the bottom of it very quickly. It's a story that has really moved along. Really, really quickly. And this is um, detectives now uh, suspect that the former investigator with GSOC, and of course GSOC is the Garda watchdog, they are now suspicious that he passed on confidential information to the Hutch crime gang 
and they're suspicious that he may have done it over a period of time. Now we know what happened uh, earlier in the week was the matter had to be referred to on Garda Siakona. They immediately began carrying out inquiries into this man's dealings, particularly with the with associates of Jerry the monk uh, Hutch. And as part of the probe, Gardaí now have examined devices which have been used by this GSOC member. They spoke with him earlier in the week and they're confident now that they know the extent of his interactions with the members of the Hutch family. A source um, in the papers say it's believed the man he is in his 60s and that he had a relationship with associates of the monk. But one source says it goes back over a long period of time. Uh, Detectives suspect that these interactions include the disclosure of confidential information obtained in his role as uh, GSOC. Uh, the, and of course, he was arrested uh, yesterday morning. Uh, Gardi now are attempting to bring criminal charges against him. And of course, it was his attendance at the party um, that really drew the attention. But it seems his attendance at the party was not his first interaction with the Hutches. Gardi are confident they know the extent of the engagement. And the former GSOC investigator He's been released now today. He was in custody up to up to this morning. Uh, he was arrested on suspicion of leaking confidential information. Now, as soon as it emerged that he'd been at this party and it was a party that seemed to have been held following the monk being cleared by the Special Criminal Court of the Regency Hotel murder of David Byrne. And there was some kind of a gathering or a get together. And people are assuming that it was something to do uh, with with Jerry, um, the monk Hutch being cleared. Anyway, this inspector was at that meeting, uh, was at that gathering and he admitted he was at it. And as soon as attention was drawn to that, alarm bells started to ring. Now, he did quit uh, immediately after admitting that he had attended the party. So he quit before he had any time to be suspended. The National Bureau of National Investigation, they were then asked this week to carry out inquiries into the allegations that the GSOC investigator was at that gathering and what other connection did he have with the Hutch, uh, Hutch family. So he was arrested yesterday, taken into a guard the station in the east of the country, questioned on suspicion of an offence under Section 81 of the Garda Siakona Act. And when I heard that yesterday, I said, OK, what is Section 81 of the Garda Siakona Act? And if you look into it, it's an offence for a person working for or on behalf of GSOC to include in, to, in, to close confidential information. So that's what he got uh, taken in uh, for. So people then knew straight away that they, they must have some suspicions that he's passed on some information. He is a former GSOC employee. He has more than 40 years of police experience. Now, not police experience here or indeed anywhere across Europe. I don't know what where the police service is, but all we've been told is it's a police force outside of Europe. But because of his work with GSOC, he would have had access to very sensitive uh, information in his role. He'd also previously worked on the investigation into the death of Colin Fox. And Colin Fox, you remember, was the detective superintendent who took his own life. He was overseeing the Regency probe. And remember, that Regency probe took so many twists and turns. So he had looked into that particular case. Anyway, the latest on the story was 
was that he was released this morning without charge but a file has now been being prepared for the DPP and the Gardaí say that their investigations are ongoing. It reads like something, I'm a big fan of Line of Duty and Line of Duty is like the English equivalent of GSOC because they investigate when things go wrong within the police force in England. That's what the Line of Duty, that's what their, that particular made up TV programme is about. But when you're reading this, it does read like it could have been an episode out of Line of Duty or it could have been a blockbuster movie. There's so many twists and turns uh, to this uh, story. So we'll, we will await to see now what happens with that file being paired being prepared for the DPP uh, but this the the man in his 60s has been released without charge today 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. For C103 photos, videos, and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Talk to me. Cork today on C103. And Mark Malone joins us with some movie suggestions. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Two movies for us today, The Pope's Exorcist and Fisherman's Friends, One and All. Now we're going to play a clip from The Pope's Exorcist. There's a case that needs your attention. The church has brought this demon before. The Vatican covered it up. Why? You've been playing and you talk to faith. You're digging too deep. Who will defend you? My faith does not require defense. Uh, no, I know straight away. I, uh, this is not a movie for me. And, and I'm a big fan of Russell Crowe. So normally I would always watch Russell Crowe movies. Yeah. But I'm of that generation. As a teenager, The Exorcist mm-hmm. was out and we blagged our way into the cinema because you had to be over 18. God almighty, when I think about it now. You're such um, a rebel. Yeah, and we put on the makeup and the lipstick and the high, <laughs> high heels and, and we got in and it frightened the I light had to do me. that too when I uh, also yeah. tried to get into uh, movies that I was uh, too well, young to see. please so. don't say you put on lipstick and high heels. It's a joke. No. Uh, so, <laughs> and then um, there was another one the, to the devil a daughter. There was a string oh. of them and they just frightened. But you know, as teenagers, you loved that. You loved the excitement of that. But as I've matured and got older, Oh, I could not. It would frighten the but, life out of me. Is it scary? But you went to see The Exorcist, right? I did, yeah. Oh, you did Frightened see it. the life out of me. Yeah, I, I saw it about 40 years ago. I can I've... still see the head spinning. <laughs> I was up late one night. Uh, I had satellite very, very early on in the 80s. And uh, I remember one night I was just zapping through all the channels. And I came across TVE, which is kind of the, the Spanish kind of TV station. Yeah. And uh, normally the movies that they would show were always dubbed. But this, but, but, but I saw it was coming on, The Exorcist. But it was subtitled. It was in English, but it was, it was subtitled in Spanish. And I said, oh, I'll have, a, I'll have a watch of this. Well, goodness gracious me, it scared the bejay for seven It's still, isn't that yeah. funny? Isn't it's that? absolutely and, terrifying. And I think it was the fact that it revolved around a child. Yeah. 
I think that does... The, is and it's it, a similar story here, yes. Is it or yeah. not? I'm sure that's uh, probably something deliberate that they've decided to do, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't sleep that night. And I've never gone back to watch it again. I've watched it one time. Thanks very much indeed. And, I don't need to see it And there again. was another one, the, pol- there was the, the, the Poltergeist. Was there another yeah, one called I mean, Poltergeist? Yeah, there was quite a lot of them back in yeah, the 80s, yeah. There was a run on them. Poltergeist was good, though. That was yeah. Steven Spielberg, yeah. I mean, that wasn't bad, but uh, there was an awful lot of rot, rotten kind of uh, horror stuff in the back of the 80s. What was the one where the thing shot out of your ones or somebody's stomach and flew across? Well, that was science fiction. That was uh, that was alien. Alien, yeah. yeah. I mean, that yeah. was completely different. I mean, okay. that was that was a horrible scene, but it was a great movie. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It was okay. Ridley Scott, so therefore you kind of expect better. But yeah, but um, so this is very very similar to The Exorcist. It really is. But it's 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 Exorcist light. You know what I mean? It's, oh, it's okay. Exorcist two point Do you know what I mean? Or I mean, it's no. You can't compare them. You really really can't. Uh, it's uh, it's 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 based on a real life figure, a man by the name of Father Gabriel Amorth. Now he was a priest who acted as chief exorcist for the Vatican. He existed, and uh, he passed away in uh, 2016. And apparently, he performed more than 100,000 exorcisms. Would you believe uh, in his time? No, an awful lot will depend on whether or not you agree and believe in any of that kind of stuff. But uh, he did. Uh, he had a couple of memoirs. So obviously, uh, they decided to look at these memoirs here. Now, no way in in heaven did anything we see on screen here happen in real life. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but Russell Crowe plays uh, this the priest. This priest, yeah, okay. this who, who really did uh, exist, and it is based on his kind of memoir. Wars. So the Pope calls in Russell Crowe one, one day and he says, look, we have a bit of a problem. There's this American family. Uh, they've decided to emigrate from the United States to Spain. And unfortunately, they're young. They've got this, they, they decide to, to um, set up shop in this very, very creepy old house. Uh, they've got a, a stroppy teenager. I've seen um, so many movies that have stroppy teenagers in them in the last couple of years. It seems to be a prerequisite. Uh, and there's a little boy in the house as well. The house is kind of haunted. And so therefore, the young boy becomes possessed by the devil uh, and so therefore the Pope decides to send Russell Crowe uh, because he's the expert to Spain um, to sort out to the sort devil. out the problem yeah so we have these beautiful kind of vistas of the Spanish countryside which is Limerick by the way <laughs> Because it was, it was filmed here in Ireland. It was, yeah. I'd love to know a part of Spain because that part of Spain is very, very green, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, it was filmed here um, for about 18 million in, in a couple of years back. And um, uh, it has done very, very well. It only cost about 18 million to make. And it is cheap looking at times, but it has taken about nearly 60 million in the box office. And I think there will be a sequel as well. So it's up to Russell Crowe as Father Gabriel then to try desperately uh, to exercise this, um, um, this devil uh, within the body of this uh, little boy. The little boy's kind of interesting. His name is Peter de Souza Fini and um, he's English but uh, he comes from a Portuguese Irish background which is kind of interesting and he's okay. Um, he does well as much as he could. The thing is, is of course the voice is this male voice which has been kind of changed. You probably heard it in the trailer there. Yeah. To sound like the devil and it's difficult to hear what he's saying at times and the same with Russell Crowe. Russell does love an accent let's face it. I mean if you remember his, <laughs> his Robin Hood a couple of years ago was a mix between Irish and and Geordie, which made absolutely no sense. It had nothing to do with Nottingham whatsoever. And his Italian accent is a bit heavier in this, and it's difficult sometimes as well to hear what he's saying. Everything that happens on screen is complete nonsense. I mean, this film is bonkers, Patricia. Okay. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, Did you jump at any stage? Well, this is the thing. I mean, the thing is that obviously what they decided to do, apparently the priest that is based on did have a sense of humour. And one of the reasons why he used to bring humour to exorcisms, as you said, the devil 
Marvel does not love like humour. And so therefore they bring quite a lot of humour into the film. Unfortunately, that does kind of undermine its kind of scariness really in, mm. in a way. So they decided, well, we won't go down the um, the exorcist route where it's taking itself really, really serious. And there's lots of kind of funny kind of moments and especially with Russell Crowe. For example, at one stage, uh, the Vatican, uh, the bishops don't particularly like the way uh, his methods uh, when it comes to exorcism. And he turns to them and he says, right, I only answer to one person and that is the Pope go talk to my boss and you're like what really <laughs> so there's a lot of that kind of stuff there's one scene which is so silly and ridiculous the whole cinema just burst out laughing uh, and not for the good reason and not for the right reason there's uh, there's not actually a huge amount of splatter in the film funnily enough okay. even though it's a 16 cert um, it's one of those films again the critics don't like it it's about 50% on Rotten Tomatoes but the, the fans like it it's a load of old nonsense it's rubbish it's bonkers it's silly it's stupid and I enjoyed it. But if it's making money at the box office, there's a possibility there'll be a sequel. Uh, there will be a sequel. Yeah, well, there, um, yeah. I read today. But look, it's, it is very, very silly. But look, it's really entertaining. It really is. It's so silly. And Russell Crowe, who should be at the end of his career now, he should be at the... At the well, look, that's a bit unfair. He should be at... Let me put it this way. He's at the part of his career where he should just be taking checks. Yeah. And, he, and I think he would deserve to do that. A lot of people at his age just decide, right, it's now time for my career just to kind of slowly but surely kind of just fade. And I'll just take checks but here he really puts everything into it he, he really but does. he loves what he does I mean that's that comes across and he's brilliant he's great he's yeah. fabulous in it and uh, and I really enjoyed watching him and I'll watch it again I'm telling you it's silly and silly and stupid but it was really entertaining And but yet another movie coming out of Filmed in Ireland we're, we're doing well on this aren't we yeah. are we making money on these uh, I presume so I yeah. hope so yeah yeah. I mean you know they were shot in parts of Dublin in Trinity College so it was great to see those shots as well but yeah um, it uh, it was filmed here a couple of years ago, and uh, okay. Russell Crowe had a great time when he was here. Apparently. So, market out of ten. Do you know it's 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 rubbish, and yeah. I should give it, give it a two. But I'm going to say it from my own personal point of view because it was so silly, I enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a seven. A seven out of ten. Okay, and it's called The Pope's Exorcist. Now, your second one is Fisherman's Friends, one and all. Are we on the complete other? Opposite side on this one? Yeah, this is the the sequel to Fisherman's Friends, which I th- did you see? Did I think I recommended to you to see it? Uh, it's about the Cornish fishermen. Uh, that, is that the singers? The singers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did see it, yeah. yeah, I did, yeah, no, yeah. I think you it enjoyed was great, it, yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, I really loved it. I thought it was absolutely great because I love a, sh- a, I love a sea shanty. So do I. I, I always So have. do I. And uh, I wasn't surprised when I heard their music that, uh, you know, the guys did very, very well. I mean, you know, um, uh, the, 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 the first album that they released turned out to be a really, really big hit and uh, they ended up on TV and uh, became stars. So basically what this is, this is about um, um, the, 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 the difficult second album, the next album, and it's about how they're dealing with the fame suddenly because they were lobster fishermen. And that's all they were at Port Isaac. Uh, there they would sing um, on the pier and uh, they led very, very ordinary lives. All of a sudden they're, they're thrust into the limelight and it's basically in how they kind of deal with that as the film leads up to their... Um, appearance at Glastonbury which did happen now the thing is of course in the first film I mean look it was based on a true story um, there's a like the best scene in the first film if you remember they went on this morning and they were meant to sing the British National Anthem and instead they sang the Cornish National Anthem yeah. it was complete fabrication yeah. it never that happened nev- no yeah I really remember, remember googling to find out if that happened yeah. and it didn't it didn't happen but it was a great scene you know what I mean yeah. uh, here they're leading up to their performance at Glastonbury which did happen uh, which is possibly the only kind of reality you know with regards to their lives in this film I mean, it's a complete fabrication as well, this kind of storyline. It tends to deal with only like a couple of the fishermen's friends. It's like all the others kind of don't exist. It only deals 
was the kind of uh, uh, with with two of the characters. Uh, one of them being um, the character of uh, Jim, played by James Purefoy here. He's not dealing with fame particularly very well. He's hit the bottle. His uh, father has passed away, and so he's not dealing with that particularly well. Uh, one of the other fisherman friends, uh, Rowan, played by uh, Sam Swainsbury, he did like a lot of the attention, especially amongst young girls, and that has caused kind of friction between him and his wife, uh, James Purefoy. Understandably so. Exactly. And suddenly the character of Melda May uh, makes oh. an appearance, yes, as, uh, as Aubrey Flynn, who is a, a rock and roller with kind of quite a history behind her. And she wants to kind of settle in, uh, in Port Isaac. Um, you know, is she, she good at it? She's OK. Look, she's not oh, an actress. But she does yeah. as well as could be. And uh, she kind of tries to kind of help uh, kind of James Purefoy to kind of uh, get dry. The thing is that the first film was kind of very simplistic. It was about a bunch of lads who suddenly become famous and are enjoying it and are singing and, and are doing what they love. Here, what they've decided to do is there's no real kind of um, kind of gelled story here. It's just a just like a, a series of kind of events that they kind of have kind of put together. There's no real clear narrative here, unfortunately. Whereas there was in the first one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, one of the lads uh, says something rude to one of the journalists. So therefore, they have to undergo a kind of a woke kind of um, um, a kind of educational kind of um, course, for example. Um, what else happens? So much, there's so much stuff, kind of sub stories happening uh, in the film, and then they kind of just try and kind of gel it all together, uh, and it doesn't really quite work, unfortunately. It's not as sweet as the first film. It deals with kind of mental health, uh, substance abuse, and all this kind of stuff, which was completely unnecessary, I think. And some of the jokes uh, are, are pretty, pretty corny. Uh, it's I'll tell you what, it was filmed, I think, in April, around this time in in 2021 in Port Isaac um, which was during lockdown uh, so there's not one tourist to be seen I was in Port Isaac a few years ago I I'm, couldn't walk I for remember tourists. you saying that after the first time yeah <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's a beautiful neck of the woods well this is the thing and yeah. obviously the weather was good because I'm telling you what the Cornwall Tourist Board are just Doing shaking well, their hands yeah. at this because it yeah. looks extraordinary there's not a cloud in the sky throughout the whole film what I would say to people is look, if you haven't seen either of these please don't watch this one first watch, watch the, the first, first one, one yeah because if you watch this one you'll go oh, I don't particularly want to watch the first one the first one is a delight. Uh, this, unfortunately, is a bit all over the place. Still entertaining because, uh, you know, the, the acting is good, the characters are good. Uh, the and the songs, singing. Yeah, the, sings, the, song, the singing yeah. and the songs are great. For no, for nothing else, watch it for the pretty sheet. Yeah. See Shanties. Mark exactly. it out of 10? I'll give it six. Six out of ten, okay. And that is Fisherman's Friends, one and all. Have a lovely bank holiday weekend. You too. And we'll chat to you again next Friday. That's Mark Malone, our movie review. That's where I leave you for today. Mark Malone is in for Nick for the afternoon. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We're back with you on uh, Tuesday morning after the bank holiday weekend onto the line Patricia Messenger good afternoon enjoy your weekend on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.